this episode of Desert Island Horror, we have as the Chut who has been to Rav Josh Blass. Rav Blass is Mashkiach Ruchani at Roots in Yeshiva University, where he has been serving for the last 13 years. He is also the rabbi of Kehillas Beis Yehuda in Monty, New York. Rob Blass received his smicha from Reitz and a master's in Jewish philosophy from the Berlin Rebel Graduate School for Jewish Studies. Since receiving his ordination, Rob Blass has taught in a number of high schools including MTA and Berea. In the year 2000, he became the rabbi of the Albert Einstein School of Medicine where he worked for four years before joining Kehillas Beis Yehuda. During his 12 years in Monty, Rob Blass has been involved in an advisory or leadership capacity with a number of organisations including Project Tikva, the Kavrakadisha, RCA based in and Thank you so much, Rabbi Blas, for joining us today. It's a real zuchut to have you with us. Thank you, Darcy. It's uh, amazing to be here and appreciate all of your efforts. So it's Desert Island Torah, three pieces of Torah that you would take to a desert island. What do they mean to you? Why are they so important to you? Really looking forward to finding out and learning with you. So if we jump right in, should we go with your first piece? Okay. Thank you, Darcy. I appreciate it. Um, I guess by way of introduction to the three pieces of Torah I want to share is that Torah that really moves me and deeply moves me feels like it's speaking in a very real way to man. It's not just, you know, a vort or just something cute or a nice tight on a pasuk or, you know, a gematria. It's something that really reveals like the, the nitzrius, the eternal nature of Torah in a way that was... Um, so necessary for the world thousands of years ago and still so profound to this day in ways that shape and move and transform us. And for me, at least, for Torah to be something that has a like real mamashut, like real substance to it, it needs to be something that really speaks to a person. It needs to be something that speaks to deeper truths in ways that inform our lives um, and that's the Torah that sort of moves me, like a Torah that has insights, Torah that um, elevates a person, you know, Torah that really penetrates into the nature of man and man's existence, man's struggles, man's sense of becoming, you know, that type of Torah is something that for me is meaningful and hope for others as well. So I want to share three different ideas that sort of, you know, tap on that or tap into that. But the reality is, is that you can think about thousands and thousands of different Torah. And I would just also encourage Darcy, if you don't mind, you know, your, your many, many listeners, people that subscribe to this, of like finding Sfarim that speak to you. I know for myself, um, for whatever reason, you know, Rav Cook and Rav Huttner and Rav Tzadok and Rav Hannah Halibwitz, you know, Sfarim that have a certain either psychological insight or a certain spiritual depth, like those are Sfarim among others that I really connect with. And it brings the Torah to my life in a very personal type of way because I feel so connected to the writings of certain people. And and certainly in all of your journeys, I'm sure you have, or I hope you have, find the people, whether they be contemporary or, you know, or otherwise, um, that really sort of speak to the essence of your soul, so to speak. So let, let me tell you three ideas that I guess maybe come from um, you know, misoch libi, so to speak, from like my own, uh, you know, either heart or or my own consciousness. Um, and as I said before, this you know, this is just a reflection of of three of those ideas, but of many, many other thousands like that. Okay, and I, I want to go in order. And the first is is based on a question um, that 
I've not seen really in writing before, but it seems to be implicit um, in the Maharal and implicit in others as well. And that's a question based on Parshas Vayera in the very famous dynamic where Hakashwarhu comes to visit Avram Avinu. Avram, of course, is sick. It was after the Prismila. And Avram tells the famous words, because and the Malachim are also there. He says, you know, my, my master, you know, like, do not do not leave your, your servant, right? So my master, do not leave my servant. Now, there are three parties that are there. There's Avram. There are the, the visitors, the Malachim. And you have HaKadosh Baruch Hu that's there. So when Avram says, please wait, do not leave, don't leave my tent, who's Avram speaking to? So as I'm sure many of you know, there's a famous Gemara. And the Gemara, like in most things, says, what's the answer to the question? And, and Darcy, I know that you know this. Machlokas, we're not sure, right? Everything, there's multiple, multiple sides. So what answer the Gemara is that when Avram was telling people, my my master, please wait. So Avram was speaking to the Malachim, you know, to the Arabs, to the uh, the people who came to visit him. And Avram is doing what perhaps all of us would have done. Say, listen, guys, God has come to visit me. You know, please wait on the side while I am the Kabbal Pnei Hashkina, I welcome in God's presence. Okay. But the second thing of the Gemara is not the way. The second thing of the Gemara is that Avram Avinu has turned to God and said, can you please wait while I welcome in these three guests into my house, these three people who come to visit me? And based on that idea, the Gemara says in Shabbos, that we see from the fact that Avram almost had the temerity and the audacity to tell God, please wait while I welcome in these guests, that we see from there that it's more significant to welcome in a guest to your house than to be mekabel pnei hashchina, right? And that is, in fact, to some degree, the way that we paskin, or that's sort of the opinion that we hold by. And it's worth considering, which is honestly for now, but where might that show up? I mean, this principle of where might that manifest itself in halacha, you know, do we value maybe hachnasas orchim over just personal tefillah? Like, you know, obviously that that gemara could could lead into and animate other discussions. So the question that I've been bothered by, and I wonder what any of your your listeners think as well, is that if we're in some, I guess, weird situation where we have to choose between mekabel pnei hashchina versus welcoming and guests. So we have Avram's behavior to serve as a paradigm and say, oh, no, no, no. The question is, what allowed Avram to do that himself? How did Avram know that he had the almost the authority or the right or that philosophically it was appropriate to sort of put almost God on the side, so to speak, and to welcome in the Malachim, to welcome in the Orchim? You know, we know that, and we have the Gemara to say that, and we have the precedent of Avram Avinu. But how did Avram himself know that? So it's, it's a good question. So there are discussions in the acronym in Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and others that might be helpful in this regard. 
But I saw a line in the writings of the Maharal, and the Maharal speaks about this in a few places, um, including on his commentary to Masech Shabbos, where the Maharal said the following, and to me this is such an important yisod, where the Maharal said that we can be mekabel p'nei hashchina um, in regards to our connection with God. People used to go out in tzfas to the uh, to the woods, you know, the Bala Shabbos, to welcome in the presence of God. You know, w- whatever that means, however we conceptualize that, we can do that in our life, but we're fundamentally limited in our capacity to do that. There's the fundamental divide, as much as we can say, Baruch Hata Hashem, we speak to God, you God, there's the fundamental divide between man and his human form and HaKadosh Baruch Hu in his ethereal form, right? And how to approach God and how to talk to God and how to even conceptualize God, especially according to the Rambam, there, there's always going to be that divide. And as much as we try to have transcendence and as much as we try to create spiritual experiences, there's always that divide, right? Maral said that by definition, Kabbalah's Pnei Hashchina is going to be limited. But he said, you know the way that a person can really be Kabbalah's Pnei Hashchina? It's to f- totally embrace the Shechina that exists in another person. If I'm approaching God, there's always going to be just this, this massive sense of distance in a way. But if I can see another person and say there's the Tzemel Kim in that person, and I can bring them into my home, and I can embrace them, and I can be mechabed them, I can respect them, I could treat them with dignity, I could see the beauty inside of them, I can connect with their Tzemel Kim. Like, that's the highest level of Dveikas Bashem is to be Dovuk to the godly quality, to the godliness in another person. The Maral said that Avram's greatness and his legacy is that he understood that, you know. He understood that his tafkid and his job and his role as someone who's going to bring monotheism into the world was to really sense godliness in people. And that was the way to make a difference in the world. That was the way to um, spread monotheism. That was the way to establish God's presence, not in some type of separate, isolated up on a mountaintop, removed from society, but it was seeing greatness and beauty and godless and people. That's what he understood implicitly. And therefore, it was more than appropriate for Avram to turn to God and say, listen, there's your human representation is standing at my door and they demand my attention, even though these people were you know, Arabs and point Chazal, Ovdei Vodazara, right? Did it make a difference? One of the great legacies of Rav Kook that you see over and over and over and over again is that, you know, when the Chalutzim came to Eretz Yisrael, what some people saw was, you know, a bunch of whatever, you know, these Chilunim, anti-from, you know, running around, playing soccer, you know, whatever it is that people saw. And Rav Kook said, no, 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 like, so Rukuk has a, a comment in many, many places. He says that it's impossible to really to not love God in some form. And he said it's impossible to not love the godliness. It's impossible to not love the godliness of other people. 
if you want to really see that and connect to it and embrace that, see sometimes beyond like the outer rubble and the outer presentation and the outer presentation of man can sometimes be to say the least inelegant, you know, <laughs> the way people speak, the way people this, the way people that, you know, Avram Avinu and men, his many, 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 many um, students were people that could sort of see beyond all of that and, and see that or Elohim Shemeir of kol adam v'adam. And that's our job, especially in a world that is often so disconnected and so lonely and and often not presenting a beautiful face. Our job is to sort of see the, the, the fundamental godliness and to live our lives revolving around those messages. And um, it's very important to me, and it's important in, I guess, the way that I try to be a parent to my children, even when they don't seem to be acting super godly, <laughs> it was important to me as a rabbi of a shul and as a you know a rabbi in YU to really you know embrace that which is beautiful and recognize that it's the highest manifestation of us as as ovdei elokim as servants of God is to recognize the opportunities of the embrace of a kaddish baruch Hu in everything in the world you know in people in nature in history in music, in culture, right? It's like embracing just sort of the sparks of godliness everywhere around us. And doing so really allows us to live a very beautiful life, you know, with a lot of space in our hearts for a lot of things instead of a lot of anger and, and negativity. And uh, that's important to me and hope that your sort of listeners relate to that idea as well. Absolutely. Um couldn't agree more such a powerful idea um i think this whole notion of we have to find ourselves but we can't find ourselves until we're part of the community until we work with other people and we all have something unique about us and i think getting that from other people is really important um and it's a pretty really powerful message okay thank you i appreciate it so should we go into your second piece sure absolutely um the second idea and again there's so many different thoughts that one can choose from, but I just mentioned this recently. I, I was speaking in the Hawaii Based Matter and I mentioned this idea and, you know, it seemed to resonate with people. So I guess I'll, I'll share it here as well. Um, you know, B'nai Israel comes to Yamsov and Moshe Rabbeinu tells B'nai Israel and Parshat Vashalach, right? He says, you'll stand here and watch the salvation of the God, of, of Akash Baruch Hu, etc. And then all of a sudden, the Pasuk says that God turns to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, why are you crying out to me? Which we understand, according to Rashi, to mean davening of sorts, right? He says, don't sit here davening, don't sit here crying, don't sit here beseeching. Speak to the nation and 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 to move forward. Okay. Now there's a question that may be shown to mask, you know, the Ramban and Rashi and and you know the Urchayim. The Urchayim, of course, is, is not a Rishon, he's an Akron, but the question people ask of of why all of a sudden was Tfila the inappropriate response to this real crisis point standing at Yamsov. Tila would always seem to be the right approach to some degree. And beyond that, um, according to the Ramban earlier in Sefer Shmos, 
um, you know, all of the Yeshua took place, the whole salvation came about because of davening, right? Only because of Vayitzaku, because B'nai Israel called out and they cried out. And we see that in Mitzrayim, according to the Rabban, the center point, the fulcrum, the impetus for Geula was Tefillah. And now all of a sudden, Israel is standing at Yamsuf, and God says, no, 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 don't daven, stop davening, you know, give it up, and Vayitzaku, just move forward, right? And why is it that all of a sudden um, tefillah was the wrong response? Now, there's a lot of discussion about this, as I mentioned before, and a person can find a lot of different answers to this question. But I thought perhaps to say the following idea, and that is and that is um, the following. So if you think about the Ibn Ezra um, that appears in Parshas B'Shalach, and this Ibn Ezra is one of the most famous ideas stated by the Ibn Ezra, and one of the most significant ideas probably in all of Sefer Shmos, if not in the entire Chumash. And it's through this Ibn Ezra that we understand sort of so much of the rest of Sefer Shmos and Sefer Bamidbar. That Ibn Ezra asked that when Bnei Israel came to Yamsuf and the Mitzvah were chasing them, Ibn Israel had already experienced the Nisim, the miracles in Mitzrayim. And here the Mitzrayim were like bearing down on them. So why couldn't Ibn Israel turn around and fight the Mitzrayim? They already saw the Ten Makos. They experienced the Ten Makos. They experienced already redemption on some level. Let them turn around and fight against the Mitzrayim, right? So you know the Ibn Ezra says it's so profound. He said that it's not in the nature of a slave to fight against their masters. You don't tell someone that has been enslaved for, you know, 30, 40, 50, 200 years, and turn around and fight against your very oppressors, right? To some degree to understand um, exceptionally insensitive um, ill-informed questions that people would ask about the Holocaust. So why didn't people fight? Why didn't people this? Why didn't people turn around and, and pose an uprising? Why didn't people escape? It's like, that means you have no understanding of the psychology of an Evid, besides being totally malnourished and besides all the other obstacles. It's very, very difficult to fight against one's um, oppressors, physically, psychologically, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. And B'nai Israel very much were defined by that Abdus. And we see throughout Parshas B'Shalach, God didn't want to take them on a closer road because there was the concern they would want to go back. And many people didn't leave in the first place. And one demonstration after, the, after another demonstration of the fundamental um, Abdus that had seeped into the consciousness of Ka Yisrael. And therefore, if B'nai Israel would only, if they would just daven at Yamsov, davening in a way is somewhat passive. When you're an Eved, when you have no autonomy, when you have no independence, when you're subjugated, so all you can do as an Eved is just sort of raise your hands to the heaven and say, you know, save me and help me, right? But in a way, all that does is continue to create the identity of an Eved. You never break out of that sense of total dependence on something or someone or that sense of helplessness. 
Sefer God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Dabera on by Yisau, namely, to sit here and just daven just continues to create that dependent cycle, just continues to create the dependence of Ka Yisrael onto, onto God or to somebody else. It continues to perpetuate the personality of being in heaven, right? So ever God says, no, don't daven. Take your life into your own hands. Take matters into your own hands. Vayisa'u, move forward. If you want to break out of some feeling of hopelessness and helplessness and and not having your, your future, your fate in your own hands, you have to move forward. You have to walk into the sea. You have to break through that identity of being in heaven. Now, was that effective? You know, maybe yes, maybe no. You know, a lot of what we see in Sefer Bamidbar is the incapacity of moving beyond maybe the smallness of Abdus, right? The smallness of Abdus meant that when it came to the Miraglim, that Bnei Israel heard a bad report and they started crying and they were reactive. And that's why they couldn't go into Eretz Israel according to the Sfas Emes, because they couldn't leave beyond sort of the meekness of what it meant to be in Evan. Instead of saying, no Simanachnu, and that's what Moshe Benu tried to do, Daber al-Avayisau, no Simanachnu, we're going, we're going to travel. Moshe Benu tried to inspire that, and maybe some people can never sort of rise to that in a way, right? Maybe people were still stuck in the personality of being an Eved. And when a person feels like they're an Eved, Vayisau, a person has to travel, a person has to move, a person has to do something. Now, Baruch Hashem, all of us in our own lives, in theory, are not avadim. You know, I would hope. I would hope there are not a, a lot of Ebed Ivries wandering around the streets who are, you know, maybe kids in their house sometimes feel as though they have a, a status of being an Ebed Ivory and lots of, you know, free backbreaking labor. But, you know, in general, none of us are, are avadim. And therefore, you could look at Sefer Shmos and you could look at the narrative by Yamsuf and say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with me. But the reality is that's not true. You know, the reality is that everybody in their own life has, not everyone, but most people um, are shackled in some way by Abdus, by some type of enslavement to something. For some people, it's enslavement to objects, to substances, to technology, to things in their life that control them, to food, to gambling, to money, to, you know, a million sort of things that are out there in the world that I don't really feel like I have a healthy relationship with or I feel somehow enslaved to in some way. And the Torah tells us, don't just sit here and dive in and hope and pray that I can deal with some of that compulsive behavior. What do I have to do in my life to overcome that? Some people are enslaved with a feeling that they're less than, they can never change, they don't control their own destinies, they're inadequate, I can't be more than what I think I can be, and I, I'm just stuck in my own life, and I'm stuck in this job, and I'm stuck in this, you know, relationship, and I'm just stuck, you know, and I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not worth more than that, and I, sort of like a, a some narrative that we create for ourselves, that's like an avdus. And in a very profound way, that's a slavery. And how does a person move beyond that? What's needed in one's life to move beyond that? Some people are enslaved by 
a constant sense of defining themselves through others. What people think about me, comparisons to others. I only feel good about myself. If you feel good about me, you know, codependence. I'm not this enough. This guy's smarter. This woman is uh, prettier. This person is thinner. This person is that. This person is a big time of This person. And it's a constant sense of slavery to living life based on everyone else, their perceptions of me, my comparisons to them. It is slavery of the highest, highest nature. It is painful. It is backbreaking when a person feels that. It sucks joy. It sucks a sense of one's own shlemus from their life. So we say, how does a person move beyond that? To find their own sort of authentic self in a way, you know, that they can feel enormous pride in. And what I love about that idea is that Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to B'nai Israel on Yamsov well over 3,000 years ago. But the same narrative of Avdus, slavery, you know, breaking through that, feeling small, feeling helpless, how do we move beyond that? That is as relevant, if not more relevant, in the year 2023 as it ever was. And therefore, the Torah is like calling out to us of almost listening to those words of Moshe Rabbeinu. And to me, that has a big imprint and impact on my own life and my own journey. And hopefully something that other people connect to as well. Absolutely. Um, it's a really um, great choice. Um, and a classic Rashi as well. Um, I think like the Peshat um, would be like the Hashem tells Moshe that like the tefillah that you asked for came before me and I accepted it. Um, right. Like it was it was asked for and it came and now it's been answered. So like move, and they started to right. move. Right. And I think right. that's also a great message like in life. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's not that it feels inappropriate, but be dominant already you know the, the dominant happened and now okay let's go stage two you know but uh exactly but but i think both that and what i said sort of work hand in hand you know we need tefila and at a certain point we can't just be reliant on tefila you know so i think both of those things sort of work in tandem with each other but yeah but thank you it's a beautiful contribution okay so should we go into your sure. so Third idea is, is sort of relevant to these partios. Um, this week, I'm speaking to you on the uh, the Arab era, the eve of uh, Parshish Truma. And there's a very famous question, which is posed by everybody and their grandmothers and their great uncles and everyone else. And it's a question that appears at the end of Parshish Tetzaveh, which is next to Parsha. And... Um, you know, I think most people, you know, who have some familiarity with the Chumash, so they know that both the Truman and Tetzave deal with the commands of the Mishkan, but the the both parshios are very different from each other. Truma is the parsha that talks about um, the Kalim of the Mishkan, the Mizbeach, um, the Aaron, the Menorah, the Shulchan, the walls, you know, all the things that are the actual structure of the Mishkan, right? When I say Mizbeach, I mean uh, the Mizbeach Adama, where they would bring Karbanos. Um, and then Parshat Tetzaveh deals with the Kalim 
of the of the Kohen and the Kohanim, the Kohen Gadol, et cetera, et cetera. So the truma is about the objects. Um, Tetzave is about the clothing, right? But all of a sudden, at the end of Parshish Tetzave, um, it's almost a Cheshbarach who sneaks something in, and that is the very last sukkim of Parshish Tetzave, is discussion of the, the building of the Mizbech Hazah, the Mizbech Hazah, the Mizbech upon which they would burn the, the incense. Right? Um, and the question that is just posed by tons of people is why is that? Wouldn't the commandment to build a Mizbeach, with the Mizbeach obviously is an, is an object, it's a kli, it's a vessel, the appropriate place would be somewhere in Parshish Trumba. It shouldn't be at the end of Parshish Tzitzavim. And I encourage people to sort of look far and wide on this topic, and you can see lots of great answers, the Malbim and Zaman Sarutskin, Yahu, and, and many others as well. Right? But there's a lot of discussion on this. But I want to suggest an answer that I really think is I'm not sure if it's the only answer, but I think it's a true answer, right? And that true answer is the following. You know, I live in Muncie, New York. Muncie, New York is a very beautiful place. It's beautiful as far as the property. And it is beautiful in regards to the homes that are built and the architecture and, you know, people build large houses and people live nice lives and people drive nice cars. And all that's great, you know, in theory. Obviously, everything needs balance and uh, proper perspective. But, okay, that's that's fine, right? But imagine for a second that a person says, I'm going to build for myself a beautiful home, you know, $1.5 million, $2 million, and everything is going to be sort of just so, right? I'm going to have, you know, you know what it's like. You go to a house like mine, or actually I live in a nice house, right? But it may look something, but if you knock on it a few times, you know, the door handle falls off. And, and you know, not everything. It's not like the, the Shufra de Shufra. It's a Baruch Hashem, a nice house. But somebody says, I'm going to build a house that's the Shufra de Shufra, the, the best of the best. We're going to bring in sort of the, the highest level architect and the best interior designer. And nothing is going to be fake. Everything is going to be real. Everything is going to be just, okay, and you build this beautiful home, including a beautiful shopping table, you know. Seatings for 16 people and the most beautiful china and patterns and and all that is great. And then you sort of sit down to the shopper's table and then, you know, when the child at the table tries to say something, the father shoots the child a death stare, you know, looks at the kid or tells him, shh, you know, it's not a house of peace. It's not a house of love. It's not a house of the real sort of like values of what a home, especially a Jewish home, should feel like, right? So you've spent all this money and all this time and you have this perfect home, but there's no reach nichoach. There's no sort of sweet smell inside of that house, right? Now let's turn our attention for a second to the Mishkan. The Mishkan itself was something which was a beautiful structure. It didn't have to be beautiful. We know the end of Mishpatim that says Mizbeach Adama Tasili. It could be good enough just to have a little Mizbeach in your backyard or in your Shalayim, you bring a carbon. But we say, no, 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 human beings want beauty. So you build this beautiful structure, right? Shlomo HaMelech built a beautiful base HaMikdash, right? Inside and outside and the, the level of design, the brilliance of 
of Moshe Rabbeinu and, and B'Tzalel, and, and it's beautiful. And it'd be so easy in a way that we build this beautiful structure, it's majestic, but that in a way the building is not a reach nichoach, right? There's jealousy and there's competition and there's all sorts of things that happen even inside of that building, right? Things are not lishma, things are not done for the proper purpose. Things are, and this is what we see over and over and over again in the Nevi'im and in Hosea and others. They say, we don't really care about the Karbanos, right? What, what are you like, why are you so worried about like the structure of the place, right? And the form of the place. You're going to bring me a Karban, but you're going to act inappropriately to a poor person or to something else. Like it's, it's a Chilah Hashem on the highest of levels, you know, of, of we care about the structure, but is the essence of the thing, a beautiful sort of smell, a beautiful fragrance of Kashbarach. So Kashbarach commands Moshe Rabbeinu, build the Mishkan, build the Kalim, construct the Big Day Kahuna, the clothes of the coming, and make sure at the very end that sort of the centerpiece of that it's the Mizbeach HaZahav, the Ketores, defined by the Reach Nichoach Lashem. We know the structure is there. The building is there. But is the spirit there? Right? Is the essence of the thing there? And, and if you don't mind me saying so, it's a, I wouldn't say a problem, but it's something that we find ourselves in, you know, thousands of years later. You know, everything is there, you know. The Pesach programs are there, and the Shabbos is there, and the, this is there, and the shuls are there, and the yeshivas are there. And we also have to make sure that you look at a Jew in just the way that they, in every piece of them, their humility, their modesty, their derech eretz, the way that they drive, the way that they speak to the cashier at the cash register, the way that they do everything in life and say, is the spirit of that of Oda, is the spirit of the service that of Reach Nichalach? The structure, the structure is beautiful. And the person in their own life is their own sort of Mishkan. I can get up and I can go to Shul and I can do this and I can do that. But is there like, is there beauty and is there greatness and is there elegance and is there their gentleness and all those things in my own personal Oda, right? Or have I built this beautiful building, but maybe the spirit of Reach Nechoach is not there in my life, you know? That's like a person of MS. The person of MS is a person that inside and outside, in their hearts, in their behavior, how they drive, how they do everything, everything is sort of connected to one source, you know, and to one theme. And that's what means, you know, that's sort of the theme of of not just building the Mishkan, but building a Mishkan that God resides inside of that Mishkan. And sort of thinking about the unity of our lives and the wholeness of our lives and the consistency of our lives in every piece, in every piece of who we are. And, and by doing that, that's the way that you radiate the beauty of the Mishkan and of the Mikdash in ways that impact us, our families, and the world. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Betzalel. Um, and I think Betzalel tells us something direct about art and indirect about Hashem. He communicated through his work. That is the art, which is the shadow cast by Hashem. And he created the Mishkan, which is a microcosm of the universe, where one would feel the presence of 
you know, something beyond Betzalel's name. It doesn't refer to the artist, but the art of Hashem. I think right. whenever we are creating something and we're part of something, we should always remember that um, that aspect of divine within. We're created to know God and walk in his ways and how to be Absolutely. the best people. Um, and I think, yeah, really fundamental messages. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing. And there doesn't also be before you, it doesn't mean that we can't have a nice house. We don't have a nice house, you know, assuming that it's properly filtered and everything else. And they're not having an iPhone, you know, but it's question sort of, are we really living in the essence of all that? Or are we just living in the outer form of all that? So Absolutely. Darcy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing such inspiring Torah with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.